Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol the Lord, all you peoples. For great is God's steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let us worship the Lord our God.
God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from the Lord. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before the Lord. God is a refuge for us. Gracious God, we give you thanks that where you go, we go. Where we dwell, you dwell. As hard as we may try, we cannot run from your faithful and loving presence. Nothing, not even our messy lives, is beyond your reach. In the sacredness of this very moment and in every moment, help us, O God, to rest more fully in your loving embrace. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and guide. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in the sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifiers ever attached to it. Christ welcomes all, and so in God's house all are welcome. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would kindly sign the friendship pad, which is located on your pew. Put your name on it, send it down and back again, and that gives all of us the advantage of each other's names that we might greet one another following worship. And likewise, those of you worshiping at home, there's a virtual friendship pad, and we'd love for you to sign in as well. We'd like to invite everyone also to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall after the conclusion of this service. Old Buttonwood is just out this door to the right of the pulpit and down a very short hallway. There you will find that our deacons have some light refreshments for us, but most importantly, you will find an opportunity to gather together in Christian fellowship. Let me highlight a few things from your announcements portion of your bulletin, including one that's not in the announcements portion. I don't believe it is, at least. Uh, The first is to note that following fellowship hour, immediately after that, up in the McCall room, our Gun Violence Prevention Task Force will be having a meeting to plan ahead for a major art exhibition that will be here in the church in uh, May. And we'd like to invite anyone who'd like to be part of that to come on up. Sandwiches will be provided, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have enough sandwiches for everybody. So even if you didn't let Diane know you're coming, we would love to see you up there to participate in that. Unless you're uh, a TNT, if you're a TNT, you're going to brunch after this service. So meet up with Laura in Old Buttonwood Hall and enjoy brunch together, which uh, is also a call for our Gen X folks. We're going to try something different. Our Gen X crowd is going to try having brunch together next week. So if you identify as Generation X, those of us who are forgotten by everyone, clearly I'm a member of that group. Um, let's join together for brunch next week so that we can commiserate. Um, I'd like particularly this morning to highlight uh, note at the bottom, the last announcement in your bulletin, which is about the conversations worth having. That's coming up on February the 17th. Uh, it's an ambitious topic, I think, to take on cultural hermeneutic. Really what it is is simply the recognition that we all read the Bible through a slightly different lens. Who we are, where we've been, our life experiences shape how we see the Bible. But what do we do if something in our life experience has skewed 
how we see the Bible so that instead we engage in idolatry or, or unhelpful theology. Our speaker, Dr. Brian Blunt, will help us to wrestle with this very notion, uh, particularly with an eye for Christian nationalism. So I hope you will plan to participate in that. As I have said every week since we announced this topic, we are only a church if we love one another enough to be able to speak candidly and honestly with one another about the most important things in our lives. So that is a Saturday seminar on February the 17th. Lunch will be provided, which means we need you to register for it. There's a QR code in the bulletin. There's also a link on the website, or you can call the church office. Just let us know that you'll be there so that we may count on your presence. And of course, Dr. Blunt will be preaching the following day here at First Church in the sanctuary and in the first service. With all of these things noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. Our time of confession each week reminds us that the God of all creation is calling us back, back to justice, back to compassion, back to the people we were created to be. God calls us and puts a consistent call on our lives and patiently awaits our reply. So come, let us hear again God's call to confession once more. And let us offer our prayer first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. Holy God, you have called us with an irresistible call. Nonetheless, we manage to find ways to resist anyway. Faced with speaking a difficult word, we run away. Shown the power of your healing touch, we nurse old wounds. Made in your image, we indulge a world that sees some as less than. This is not how it should be. It is sin. We know our failures, and so, in honesty, we confess them to you. Forgive us, we pray. Offer to us once more the grace-filled word, the healing touch, the ability to see your image in others, that we might be disciples whom Jesus called. good news of this day is that God's call upon our lives does not come once or twice or even three times, but the God of all creation calls us again and again and again and then eagerly awaits our return. We are heard, friends. We are forgiven. We are accepted, and we are called once more. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen for God's word for you. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they have no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they have had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1. Listen for God's word for you. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little, a, little, a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired men and followed him. May God add a blessing to these readings. final reading of scripture comes to us from the Old Testament, from the book of Jonah, the third chapter, the first ten verses. Continue now to listen for the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city doing a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't the whole story just wrapped up in that line? If you know the story of Jonah, no doubt you know about the whale, but the whale gets nothing more than a cameo, so let's get the fish out of the way right off to start. The story goes that God commands, Jonah runs, a storm follows, the crew of the boat panics, a man is thrown overboard, whom the fish eats. Jonah prays, God speaks, and the fish spews Jonah back up. Which brings us to an unknown shore of the Mediterranean and a persistent call from God, a call that will not go away. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Like all the prophets, Jonah received a call from God, not to speak on his own behalf, but to speak for God. He was asked to go and to preach the Lord's admonition to the people of Nineveh, but a word immediately is in order about the Ninevites. Ninevites are Assyrians. You can imagine little hiss on the S in Assyrians. The Israelites and the Assyrians hated each other. The Assyrians were the oppressors, and no self-respecting post-exilic Jew would have anything to do with an Assyrian. That is why, from a certain point of view, what Jonah does next is perfectly reasonable. He hops on a boat headed to Tarshish. Back when we were all anxiously awaiting the vaccine, I preached an entire sermon online to you on the well-worn path to Tarshish. And I want to recap it briefly by asking one question. Have you never thought that the boat to Tarshish looked awfully appealing? The world is awash in manufactured falsehoods, but often it is easier to go along than to call a lie a lie. Tarshish, anyone? The effects of climate change are increasingly self-evident, but addressing it will require substantial change for all of us. Tarshish, perhaps? Unconscious bias isn't a new concept, and it takes real work to confront what it does both to institutions and individuals. I hear Tarshish is lovely this time of year. Every one of us has gotten on the boat to Tarshish. Perhaps that's why the book of Jonah speaks to us so personally. We've all booked passage on that boat at one time or another. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
Jonah then proceeds to the city of Nineveh and delivers his eight-word sermon. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And this is actually where the book of Jonah takes a slightly comical turn. He finishes his sermonette and goes out into the desert and points his lawn chair back at Nineveh so he can watch the destruction that God has promised. But to his surprise, the people of Nineveh hear what he is preaching. The text says the people believe God and repent in sackcloth and ashes. Remember, in the culture of the ancient Near East, favor was generally indicated by dressing well, putting lotion on your hands or your dry skin, combing your hair, and generally making yourself look respectable. And repentance, on the other hand, would be expressed equally robustly. It required that the acknowledgement of disfavor be visible to show that something is profoundly not right. The king decreed that everyone from the royal court on down would fast, neither eating or drinking, and they must show their repentance visibly with sackcloth and ashes right down to the animals friend of mine, a Hebrew Bible scholar, says this is really the moment where the story becomes a comedy because essentially they're saying, I've been really, really bad, so I'm going to make the dog look stupid. But what this is about is total repentance. The sackcloth and ashes are to indicate that they realize they hear what God is saying. Their cry to the Lord is not offered as bargaining, but rather a cry of hope. Who knows, says the king. God may relent and change his mind. God may relent and turn from his fierce anger that we do not perish. Now, if we were to stop reading Jonah here, as the lectionary does, we risk drawing a perverse picture of God. We see a God who coerces and manipulates, who is subject to whims. But not if we keep reading, not if we put this in the context of the whole story, because the whole story paints a very different picture of God. It shows a God who gives second chances. Nonetheless, despite having received a second chance for himself, the Lord's mercy for Nineveh was displeasing to Jonah. Seeing that the show has been canceled, Jonah begins to sulk, and in this moment of sulking, our minor prophet speaks a major word displeased that he has been used to the end that God has intended, Jonah prays to God, and this is what he says, O oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew 
that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing evil. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better that I should die than to live. In other words, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do this because you always do this, because that's who you are. That's a major word. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. Nonetheless, Jonah holds out hope to the very end that Nineveh will still get what it has coming. But while Jonah is out in the desert sulking, waiting for something to happen to the Ninevites, God goes on later in the story to appoint a shrub to grow up over Jonah's head and to provide him with shade. And the story tells us that Jonah was glad of the shrub. I mean, who wouldn't want some shade in the desert? Then, the next day, God appoints a worm to attack the root of the plant so that it dies. And then the story tells us God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that finally Jonah asks again that he might die. To which God replies, is it right that you should be angry? Jonah answers with equal measures of absurdity, anger, and honesty. Yes, angry enough to die. All told, Jonah lobs 39 words of complaint at the Lord. And God returns 39 words of answer. You're worried about us. Plant? You didn't grow it. It came up overnight. It died in the same time. And you think I shouldn't be worried about Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God of second chances cares about those who do not know their right hand from their left and the animals too. It's enough to give credence to the old adage that the Lord protects fools and children. And this very same God is relentless in pursuing us. Our relentless God is always looking for redemption always planning for another better chapter. That's why God sends the prophet in the first place. Because make no mistake about it, it was not Jonah's idea to go to Nineveh. Indeed, we know he resists it heartily. God sends the prophet because there is a word the Ninevites need to hear. That's why God appointed Jonah to preach it. And paying close attention to the story, 
at every turn, it is God who acts. God calls the prophet. God sends the storm. God commands the fish. God has mercy. God appoints the plant and the worm and the wind. And it is God who answers. And in answering, God's categories of judgment and mercy defy Jonah's understanding. Jonah, so sure that he knows who God is and what God is about, runs away and then can't see what is right in front of him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And the text doesn't put it exactly this way. But when Jonah is out in the desert pouting, it might as well read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a third time, and then a fourth time. The call of God throughout all the pages of Scripture is an irresistible call. Because God is a relentless lover. Now, interestingly, by the time we get around to Mark's gospel and we see what it says about calling, it does look a little different from Jonah's version. Jesus walks along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and encountering there fishermen at work, he calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. For some reason, the lectionary ties these two together. I think it's just the fish language is the only reason they're pulling them together. But nonetheless, they get up and follow him. Walking a little further down the way, Jesus sees James and John. They're Zebedee's sons, and he calls them too. They too get up and leave their boat and their father and their hired help, and they follow him. Note this, it is not their idea. Jesus is the one who does the calling. And if we read the rest of Mark, we encounter again a God who loves people who don't know their right hand from their left. If we go on reading in the pages of the gospel, we encounter a God who sends a bunch of ill-prepared Jews into the midst of Gentiles with a word that we all need to hear. If we will go on and read the whole story, we will see again that it is Jesus who acts. It is Jesus who calls. It is Jesus who sends. It is Jesus who heals. And it is Jesus who, when the disciples, recalcitrant like Jonah, have their own notions about who God is and what God should do, stops his work and patiently teaches them again who God is. Because when we see the ways that God calls people through the ages, through the story of Jonah, and the stories of Jesus calling the disciples, we see again an irresistible call. It is a call that goes on and on, right down to us. Now, I will readily grant 
that the reality that God is calling us, that God is calling you, particularly in this moment, may come off a bit intimidating. We may feel, if we're honest about it, that we are poorly equipped to communicate in our own words the width and depth and nature of God's grace and mercy. And if we're really honest, we may find that from time to time, we feel a bit like Jonah himself, missed at what God is calling us to do, thinking to ourselves, I knew you were going to do this. Living into God's call in our own lives requires a great deal of us personally. Yet, as personal as calling feels, it's not about us. It is so easy to fall into ways that make the call of God on our lives about us. It's so easy to fall into thinking that church is primarily about us. Sometimes churches do this by falling into a numbers game. Now, sure, we're a growing congregation, but this is generally only appealing when we think the numbers look good. Churches can also be tempted to play a morality game. And while I think we are all lovely people, this is generally only appealing when our consideration of morality makes us look good. And likewise, we could even feed into a success narrative. That one's very tempting. As though the calling of God is about us and our efforts. This is generally only appealing if we are able to look at what we are doing and see that it lines up favorably with however we have defined success. And the problem with all of these temptations is that they make something that is fundamentally a gift that God gives to everyone about us individually. They make something that is fundamentally about God, about us instead. The call that God gives us is to follow one who is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah got that part right. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That one line makes this a different kind of story. The kind where God gives second chances and third and fourth and fifth. This is the story of a God who calls again and again. This is the story of a God who is relentless and calling us to follow. So maybe we can skip the boat to Tarshish this time and go on to Nineveh knowing that it isn't our responsibility to get all the predictions right. Or perhaps we can 
leave the boat lying on the side of the sea because when the day's work is done, it isn't about whether or not we got our nets mended or apparently even if we knew where we were going when we left. When the day's work is done, it is about whether or not we will follow the God who calls and go where God sends us as many times as it takes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
reminded of God's call again and again on our lives, we are now invited to join our voices with believers across time and throughout the world by declaring together what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the midst of struggle, pain, and loss, Christ's church is meant to be a holy refuge. Here in this place, we are meant to care for and support one another, remembering that we were not made to walk through this life alone. In gratitude for this gift of community and for God's presence among us, we are invited now to give of ourselves. So come, let us bring our offerings, celebrating that we have one another. Our tithes and offerings will now be received.
this congregation. We're delighted to introduce you to these new members of First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. If you would each come forward as I read your name. Joyce Brill, Ashley Brunk, Sydney Cardi, Richard Davies, Alicia McDonald, Jerry Rice, Alan Sothergill, and Christine Sothergill. Dear friends, in baptism, God has called you and claimed you and marked you as Christ's own forever. In that act, you are joined to the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. You come to us then not as strangers, but as friends in Christ and members of the household of God. We are glad and grateful that you desire to join with this congregation in the worship and the mission of the church. And you have already made your professions of faith before the session, but we do like to give you the opportunity for a public profession of faith now. And so I will ask you the two questions I asked you then. And uh, you all may feel to answer alongside them if you wish. Uh, I'll give you a hint. The answer to both is yes. <laughs> Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you intend to be his disciple in this place as part of the ministry of this congregation to this community and beyond? Do you? Yes. Friends, let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for calling us to be your people and joining us to Christ's body, the church. We give you thanks for these new members of First Presbyterian Church, for the gifts that they bring, and for the way that their story is wrapped up in ours. Empower us by your spirit that we might love one another as Christ loved us, honoring him in all that we say and do, giving our lives in service to others, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. God, the voice that called us long ago is the same voice that calls us today. We give you thanks for the work of the prophets in our midst, the good news tellers. Bless these gifts that they may be used to offer your wide embrace to our world. And bless this congregation that we may open ourselves to hearing your call to our community again and again 
following. We pray in the name of your Son, who calls us to follow. Amen. Let us join again in prayer. Loving God, in the busy hustle of our everyday lives, it can be difficult to hear your still, quiet voice speaking to us, assuring us, calling us to be your hands and feet in the world. It sometimes feels easier to rush from activity to task to meeting to project than to attend to the holy work of loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, loving ourselves without any qualification. We thank you, Lord God, for sticking with us, for patiently abiding with us, for believing in us enough to call us over and over again. Give us more opportunities to quiet every voice within us, accept your own, and to be startled once again by your compassionate truth. God, we pray this day for the people and the places and the situations that feel too large to carry on our own. We pray for those who are sick, those who are recovering, who are awaiting major procedures, those with uncertain diagnoses. We pray for those who do not know how they will make ends meet, for those who do not know how they will keep warm, and those who do not know how they will find enough to eat. We pray for those who are plagued by anxiety and depression and mania. We pray for those who carry their grief with them wherever they go. May your abiding presence offer comfort to us once more. And may your prophetic voice make it so that human life is valued in this world over power and division and even revenge. God, we lift up to you the places that are hurting. Help us to hear your call once more. Help us to not conform to the ordinary patterns of the world, but to live a different way, governed by the principles of radical love. Give us strength to break silences that oppress, to crack open holy possibilities in our world. Inspired, God, by the saints that came before us, move within us to go to the unlikely places where you send us, and build us up as your beloved community. Speak to us, call us, move within us, even now as we pray the prayer that your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
when Laura and I were discussing this text earlier this week, she said something that I want to share with you. I just told her I was going to quote her. It's actually more of a paraphrase. She said, you know, it takes a certain amount of ego to assume that we can mess our lives up so badly that God can't clean it up. And I'm not sure who, if anyone, needs to hear this, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And the word of the Lord comes to us a second time, and a third time, and a fourth, as many times as it takes. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.